against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In the summer of 2007, uh, my wife and I spent a month uh, in the country of Ukraine. Uh, We were adopting our oldest daughter, Nadia, Uh, And living there for a month was a challenge. Uh, We did not have a translator. Our mastery of the language was quite low. And to try to figure out how to communicate was difficult. And we didn't have a lot to do as we were just working through the adoption process. So what we did to pass the time is we took walks. We walked everywhere, all over the city. And also, obviously, I couldn't rent a car and drive, so we had to walk. But we spent a lot of time walking in Ukraine. Now, Um, Walking in Ukraine was a lot different than walking back here in New Hampshire for us. Uh, Where we were staying, it was not necessarily the best area. Uh, We were in a pretty run-down, large apartment building. Um, We were pretty careful to get into our our apartment by dark. Um, Walking here, I really don't think twice. Uh, We're walking and talking. I'm not really paying attention to those around. But you can bet there, I was looking all around. Who's near us? Who's approaching? Are we safe? Not to mention... We had on my person all the cash strapped to me that we had brought to Ukraine. So I was very mindful of the fact that I was a walking target going through the streets. We walked differently in that culture than we did here because we were aware of the danger. In the book of Ephesians, Paul has written about how the reality of Jesus changes how we walk. Uh, that's Paul's way of saying how we go through life, how we live. We all walk, progress, live our way through life. And the reality of Jesus changes how we walk. Matter of fact, uh, on the chalkboard over here is written Ephesians 4, chapter 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, the whole first half of the book of Ephesians is telling us this amazing reality uh, that we have in Jesus Christ, a reality that we might not recognize if we weren't to look at the scriptures and see what it says about life because of Jesus. The fact that in Him, we are now blessed, it says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That you couldn't be more blessed if you are in Jesus Christ. That we are completely loved, completely forgiven, raised to new life, given an eternal inheritance, made to be part of a new, unified humanity, uh, empowered by God's Spirit to live a new kind of life. That's reality because Jesus died and was risen, and has given us His Spirit. Therefore, we can walk differently. Paul says, walk in love, walk in the light. We can live that way because of the reality of Jesus. 
But as Paul finishes up his letter, uh, he tells them one more aspect of reality that we have to recognize if we are going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And he kind of saves like the hard news to the very end of the book, um, but it's necessary news. And here's the reality that he wants them, the Ephesian church, and us today to realize if we're going to walk in Christ. Here's the reality. Life in Christ is opposed. Life in Christ is opposed. According to Paul, there's an enemy to the spiritual life. Therefore, walking with Jesus through life is not just a walk in the park. It's actually a walk in a battle. That's the metaphor here. To walk with Jesus is not just a walk in a park. There's an enemy, therefore, it's a walk through a battle. Now, there is an evil one, and there are spiritual forces that are opposed to Christ and his church. And in some ways, this makes sense. This is why it is so hard for people to get along. Seemingly good-natured people who so quickly find themselves at odds with one another. This is why it's so hard for churches to flourish and to grow. Why it's so hard for Christians to continue in faith. That there is a spiritual being who is against God and against his purposes. He desires to destroy Christ's works, which is our faith and our unity and the church's witness. That, that's his aim. And we see this throughout the scriptures. And right at the very beginning, we have Adam and Eve, the first human beings. And quickly in the story, we see this spiritual being enter, this serpent, who tempts them and then convinces them to doubt God's goodness and God's instructions. Now, did God really say you had to do that? And they begin to doubt the goodness of God and his instructions. That's always his purpose is to separate people from the goodness of God and the wisdom of his teachings. Uh, then when Jesus was on earth, the evil one opposed him and attempted to dissuade him from God's redemptive plan. Thankfully, Jesus is the perfect human who didn't give in. Jesus resisted the temptation of the evil one. But the evil one continues to work today against God's redemptive plan that's being worked out in and through his church. And if we don't realize that there is an enemy, that our life together in Christ is opposed, then what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen if we don't recognize there's an enemy? Well, I want to suggest three things from this passage that I think will happen if we don't realize this reality. First, we will be deceived by the schemes of the evil one. We will be deceived by the schemes of the evil one. Uh, Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, this is how the evil one works. It's rarely this forceful frontal attack. It's always a deceptive sideways uh, uh, thrust. Uh, he's a deceiver, an accuser, and a schemer. He often makes what is bad look good and what is good look undesirable. And if we don't realize that he's doing that in our lives, we will quickly find ourselves thinking that what God says is wrong actually would be good. And we, we need to be aware of this, that Satan is a, deceiver, is a schemer, and we will find ourselves deceived if we aren't aware that it's constantly coming our way, this deception. Uh, second thing that will happen if we don't realize that there is an evil one and that we're opposed is we'll end up fighting the wrong enemies. We'll end up fighting the wrong enemies. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is a striking passage where Paul says, uh, your real enemy, the one you are really at odds with, is not flesh and blood. It's not other human beings. That does not come naturally to us. We quickly find ourselves in situations where we think there's a person who is the cause of all our problems. At times in marriages, people find themselves at odds and think that their enemy, the one that's opposing them, is their spouse. Sometimes it's in church situations, conflicts within churches. Sometimes it's in the larger culture, in political division. But Paul is saying our real enemy is not flesh and blood. There is one sinister force behind this opposition that is inflating the difficulty, uh, creating greater division than there needs to be between human beings. And if we're not aware of this, you know, it's almost like uh, you know, siblings that are fighting and they don't realize that there's another sibling actually who's provoking them. Uh, I, I was that, that third sibling that often did that. And if we're not aware of that, we will quickly fall prey uh, and fight against the wrong enemies in life. Boy, to apply this is so helpful in marriages, in churches, in, in work. If you're constantly reminding yourself, my greatest enemy is not the person I'm at odds with. There's another force at play here. Uh, third thing, that if we do not realize or believe that our life in Christ is opposed, what will likely happen? And I'll, I'm going to kind of use this last point for the majority of the, ser- of the sermon after that. We will not be able to withstand the evil day. If we don't realize there's an enemy, we're not going to be able to withstand his attack in the evil day. Uh, Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Now, I know this is not like a, the super encouraging news that you want to come to church and hear, but it's true that we will all face an evil day. That's called life. Um, we will all face a season of crisis, a season of testing um, that will reveal the genuineness of our faith or the lack of it. And it could be a health crisis, a financial crisis, a relational crisis, a marriage or parenting crisis. But we will all face an evil day. And the real challenge in that day um, isn't the issue or the crisis itself. It's whether or not we will continue to trust God in the midst of it. That's the real crisis, whether we will continue to follow Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is we won't have a snowball's chance in hell of standing in the evil day if we don't even realize there's an enemy. We'll just find ourselves overwhelmed by the immediate crisis in the evil day. So here's the reality. There is an evil one who opposes our life in Christ. Be aware. But Paul goes on to give us greater guidance. How do we walk in light of this reality? How do we walk if we're aware that there is an enemy? And I'm going to suggest uh, three things here. All right, we're doing pretty good in time. You guys all awake and alert? All right, that's good. First, uh, Paul says, put on God's armor in advance. Put on God's armor in advance. Um, This whole passage, you have the imagery of battle. Therefore, he continues with the imagery of armor. And he lists lists all kinds of specific elements of the armor to put on. I'm not going to focus so much on the details of each part of the armor. That'd be a great sermon. That's not today. 
All right? Uh, what I want to uh, focus on is the fact that we need to put these, uh, this armor on in advance. I mean, let's say that you are a soldier or a police officer. Um, you don't wait to put on the body armor until after you've been shot. It does you no good at that point if you wait to put on the armor till after you've been shot. And, and Paul is saying all of this armor is, is so useful. It will help us withstand. But it's got to be on before the evil day. That's the point. If it's not put on in advance, it will do you no good in the evil day. And so we need to put on God's armor in advance. And I'm just going to go through really quickly and list the armor that Paul lists without camping out too long in each one, all right? Uh, Paul says, put on the belt of truth, which is a right understanding of reality. Remember, Satan makes sin look good. He makes righteousness look bad, which is why over 75 times in the gospel, Jesus starts off his teaching by saying, I tell you the truth. Again and again, I tell you the truth. And we need to be leaning into God's truth in advance of the evil day. Because in the evil day, it's hard to see clearly. Do we know what God says is true and good? And so we're understanding uh, reality from God's point of view prior to the evil day. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is Jesus' status and character. That this is the gospel, that, that Jesus gives us what we do not have. Jesus gives us his righteousness. On the cross, he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. That means that though we have not lived righteously through faith in Jesus Christ, God now sees us as righteous. So it's not something we earn or accomplish in and of ourselves. It's a status that we believe by faith and take on. But it's not just a status. When we have this righteousness, we now can be transformed to live accordingly. We begin to live righteously. Uh, righteousness is right relationship. That's a character. So we have this status in Christ that changes our character to be able to live righteously. Now, in the evil day, none of us want to live righteously. I want to blame. I want to complain. I want to whine. I want to escape. I want to do anything to get out of the evil day. But if before that day, I have trusted in Christ's righteousness and begun to learn to live righteously, I have a status and a character to carry me through. Before the evil day, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says, shoes, put on your shoes, a readiness for the gospel of peace. What he's talking about here is understanding our mission and being ready to carry it out. Being understand, uh, able to understand our larger purpose and ready to carry it out. Lack of mission is kryptonite for the church and for the Christian life. It's kryptonite. If all we think the Christian life is about is getting together with some friends with which we have some commonality and getting some inspiration when we're kind of down, um, what we're going to find in the day of evil is, eh, it's not enough. It's not enough. Um, we need something larger that, that carries us through. You know, no soldier who's in a foxhole is uh, in, into petty disagreements when there's a larger enemy they're fighting against. And in the church, when we understand we have a bigger purpose, that the gospel of Christ is advancing, we're part of it, it enables us to weather petty disagreements because something larger is uniting us. Uh, mission, and the, and the mission is the gospel of peace. Paul says, take up then the shield of faith, the shield of faith, a reasoned confidence in God's existence and provision. A reasoned confidence in God's existence and provision. Now, it's not just religious people that live by faith. Everyone lives by faith. I mean, if you go and get in your car and drive to work, 
you're living by faith that the person is not going to cross on the other side will not cross the center line and hit you. Uh, there's a trust there. Now, it's a reasonable trust because you've done it for years on end. You trust the fact that life tends to work this way. In a similar way, God calls us to have reasoned confidence in His existence and His provision that we develop over time. As we trust God in small things, He grows our faith. We're more able to trust Him in larger things and in the evil day. When we trust God with, you know, some small things like a regular giving financially to be generous to others, then in a larger day, we find ourselves lacking financially. We say, you know what? God is always taking care of me. I can trust Him still. When we experience uh, a regular trust in God in small things, it grows our ability to trust Him in the evil day. Next, he says, put on the helmet of salvation, which is the knowledge of victory. The knowledge of victory. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 says this, but thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You know, Paul wants uh, Christians to know that the end, the victory, is not in doubt. Like in Jesus Christ, uh, we've already won. Jesus Christ has defeated Satan's sin and death in his cross and in his resurrection. So even as we go through great difficulty, we can be sure that there is victory. And we have that knowledge. It gives us so much more ability to weather the evil day, that we have this knowledge of victory. Then lastly, Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, many have, noticed, have noted that of the armor listed, this is the only offensive piece. Everything else is defensive, protecting against the evil one's attack. This is offensive. And we see Jesus wield the sword of the Spirit in his temptation. You know, when Satan tempts him, uh, Jesus responds, it is written, and then quotes Scripture. It is written that when we know the Scriptures, we're able to see through the schemes of the evil one. We have strength to withstand. Now, when Jesus was tempted, he didn't have to say, wait a minute, uh, let me Google what the Bible says about turning stones to bread. What does it say? He already knew it, right? The Scriptures were already in him. He had studied them. He memorized. He knew the Scriptures so that in the moment of temptation, he could respond with the truth of the Scripture. And in a similar way, uh, the Word of God, when it is in us, gives us a, an ability to withstand temptation and to withstand opposition in the evil day. Now, friends, uh, many people right now are experiencing uh, an evil day. That's, that's life. Um, many people in that day are continuing in faith and being strengthened. Thank the Lord. But honestly, many aren't. Uh, in our larger culture right now, we are experiencing a great uh, spiritual movement in our day. Unfortunately, it's in a movement out of the church, not into the church. Uh, the stats are showing that many, many people right now are leaving the church and leaving faith. This is what Paul is warning against. It is being prepared in advance so that we continue in faith even in the evil day. And we do so by putting on the armor of God in advance. Uh, the second thing that Paul uh, points out, if we're going to continue in faith, if we're going to walk in, right, in light of the reality that life is opposed, not only do we put on the armor in advance, but we must pray like our life depends on God, because it does. 
Uh, we pray like our life depends on God because it actually does. Um, did you notice when we were reading through uh, if the end of this section in verses 18 to 20, like how Paul talks about prayer? He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I mean, okay, we, we kind of get the point, Paul. He's saying, you know, everything, pray about everything um, for everyone with all the energy you have. Like, he really leans in to the power of prayer. Now, in my own personal life, I have prayed hardest, uh, most urgently, most desperately, like when things were hard for me personally. Like when I've gone through um, a family struggle, when my kids are struggling. Man, I am really quick to pray then. <laughs> you know, or when I've gone through a financial difficulty. You know, I, I cry out to God naturally. You know, but when life seems pretty good, I'll be quite honest with you. Prayer is not my first uh, reaction. But Paul is saying the reality is we are always in a season of opposition, whether we realize it or not. And if we aren't praying with an urgency for ourselves and for others, uh, we're not prepared. But when we learn to pray with a great dependence on God, a great urgency, even in advance, we are strengthened and prepared for the evil day when it comes. And Paul gives us, um, I think it's an example of what prayer does uh, when you're praying in advance in this way. I mean, Paul asked them to pray for him, and I am so struck by his prayer request. I mean, Paul is writing this from a jail cell. He was imprisoned by jealous religious leaders uh, who are opposed to the message of Christ. So you'd think that Paul would say, you know, pray that I get released. You know, pray that these guys get it. You know, uh, that he would be, you know, wanting out of that situation. But he says, not that at all. I mean, he says, uh, pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul had been praying all along, and his heart had become formed by his prayers. That he wanted Jesus, his presence in his life, and Jesus' gospel to go out more than anything else. And so in the evil day, he continued to live that desire. I hope that God forms my heart to become like this, because most of my heart is, I just don't want to experience the evil day. <laughs> and, and, and Paul's saying, pray. Pray like your life depends on it. Because it really does. God will form your heart. And what's really needed in our lives is not just comfort, not just financial provision, not even just health. What we really need is faith in the Son of God that carries us through to eternity. And when we know that that is our greatest need, we will pray accordingly. How can we walk in light of the reality that life in Christ is opposed? Put on the armor in advance. Pray like your life depends on it. Uh, and lastly... Stand in the Lord's power. Stand in the Lord's power. Now, at this point in the sermon, you, you might feel, I don't know, maybe a little scared. <laughs> I mean, this is not a, a real light and fluffy reality. There's an enemy out there, a spiritual enemy, seeking to destroy our faith. Um, maybe you feel a little nervous, knowing that your prayers are imperfect, that we find ourselves often distracted and you may not consider yourself a prayer champion. So it could become, it would be easy to be anxious at this point. Say, what does this mean for me? I want you to hear how this passage begins 
in verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He doesn't say be strong for the Lord in the strength of your might. No, 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 be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You see, our strength to walk with Jesus comes from our proximity to Jesus. It's not our strength, it's His strength. And as we live life close to Him, we simply receive His strength. He gives us the ability to stand during these times of testing. Even though we go through hard things in life, and we all do and we all will, we can be okay. We can be at peace, even in the midst of the storm, because we're close to Christ. I mean, he's the one uh, who went through the cross and rose again, connected to Him. We're going to be okay no matter what happens. I mean, today, we actually have the opportunity to kind of put our feet firmly on the reason for our confidence. And this is what the communion celebration is all about. And we're reminded in the bread that Jesus' body was broken as He endured the ultimate evil day, for us. In his body, he bore our sin on the cross so that our sin can be removed. When we eat the bread together, we're reminding ourselves of our need for forgiveness. And we've all lived apart from God. We've all given into the evil one's schemes at one point or another. We've all lived opposed to God in thought, word, and deed at one point or another. But God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The bread reminds us that Jesus endured the ultimate evil day that we will never have to. And the cup reminds us that Jesus was faithful through the worst day for us. And then he rose to victory. It's a cup of celebration. This cup tells us that the battle belongs to the Lord and Jesus has won. So when we come to the communion table with faith in Jesus Christ, we come confident that he has defeated Satan, sin, and death for us. And through faith in Jesus, we are included in his victory. The evil day did not conquer Jesus. Therefore, it cannot conquer those who are in Jesus. What we're going to do this morning, in a minute here, I'm just going to ask us uh, um, to come forward. Uh, uh, We're going to have a song first, though. The kids are going to be dismissed and come down and join us during the song. Uh, We're going to sing together. And then after this song, I'll give instructions about how we're going to come forward and receive the elements and then come back and and participate in the communion supper together. But at this point, I invite you to stand with me and pray now.